All right. Uh, all right, y'all. If y'all have a copy of the Bible with you, find Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Tonight we're coming to another great parable um, taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. We find it in one of the five extended teaching sections in the Gospel of Matthew. You can see how here this, this, teaching, this particular teaching section in, within the Gospel of Matthew began at the beginning of chapter 18, um, where they were asking, the disciples were asking Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And which, that, that's the question that kicks off this whole teaching section here from Jesus. He teaches on, in 18 on temptations to sin. He followed by the parable of the lost sheep and um, a section on accountability and church discipline. Now the parable we're going to study. It just goes on and on into chapter 19 with more parables, more teaching, all the way up to the end of chapter 20. Um, but anyway, here we are in chapter 18, and we find our parable beginning in verse 21, running through verse 25. Um, maybe you're already familiar with it, if you were able to read it ahead of time before you came. But either way, let's, um, let's read it. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Um, then Peter came, up to, Peter came up and said to him, that is to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Lord, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. Lord, this is an important word for us um, in the providence of, in your providence. We're coming to this issue again. And 
So, Lord, I ask that as we think about this, not just this parable, but this theme, would you give us eyes to see the truth in this passage? Would you give us minds to understand very clearly what the Lord Jesus is saying and what he's not saying and how we should think about it? Would you give us hearts to embrace what he is saying here, wills to obey and live according to what he's saying here? And would you give me the help that I do need to teach and give us all ears to hear? And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, having read this parable, I don't know, maybe you, you might feel like we're, we're, we're covering ground that we've just recently covered. I, at least I did when I came to it. Especially if you've been here on, um, on Sunday mornings in the past few weeks. Uh, not necessarily Sunday school, but, but the main service. Um, what I mean is, obviously, the, the parable that we just read is on the theme of forgiveness, right? And uh, during the month of January, Pastor Brian was preaching through the Lord's Prayer, because January is sort of a prayer-focused month, and he was preaching through the Lord's Prayer as it is found in, in Luke chapter 11. And on the last Sunday of the month, which was just a week and a half ago, he preached on the, pa- the petition found in chapter 11, verse 4, which reads, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And in that sermon, Pastor Brian spent a good bit of time thinking through the issue of forgiveness um, from the Christian point of view. When he was teaching, especially on that last phrase, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And he did, I think he did a great job clarifying a lot of things about forgiveness. Uh, that what biblical forgiveness is, what it is not. Um, and it's not up on the, I was going to, earlier today, I was going to put it on the link to the podcast, say, would y'all listen to this before you come tonight? Um, it's not on the podcast yet. But when it is, you should listen to it. <laughs> uh, if you weren't here, especially, and if you were here, listen to it again. Um, Jesus is emphasizing the same reality in our parable tonight. And, uh, and the passage begins with Peter's question in verse 21. Lord, How often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Which prompts Jesus to say, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. And of course, Jesus isn't there intending to give us a mathematical formula so that we know that 490 times is the limit. 491, all bets are off. Um, No, clearly Jesus is conveying in his answer there it's, it's, it's basically just a limitless posture of forgiveness, a, a, a limitless posture of your heart of forgiveness toward those who, who ask for it, right? Um, and when Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, you, a lot of people hear in Jesus' words there uh, echoes, and I, I do too, uh, an intentional echo of Lamech's words in Genesis 4. You might remember Lamech in Genesis 4, who was a, uh, uh, he was a descendant of Cain. He was in Cain's line, and he was the first example of polygamy in the Bible. He had two wives, and he's just, a, he's presented, the, the, the fall happened in Genesis 3. In Genesis 4, remember, just the, think about the, those chapters in Genesis. You've got chapter 3 is sin enters into the world. Chapter 4 is just an acceleration of wickedness, 
And chapter 5 is all about the consequences. And so-and-so lived so many years, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Just death took over the world because of sin. And there, right there in chapter 4, you have Lamech presented as like this, this individual of example of how, how wicked sin was making the world. And in Genesis 4, verses 23 and 24, we read, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, they were their names, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And, and there's a similarity there between what Lamech says there and in how Jesus answers uh, Peter in our, in our passage tonight. But whereas Lamech's anger, and the way he said that, was sort of, uh, Lamech's was like anger and revenge in a limitless kind of way. Even if you wound me, I'm going to murder you, right? And, 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 and he's boasting about it. There's just no limit to what, what the, 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 the wickedness he will do. Jesus says for those who follow him here that our love and our forgiveness toward those who have offended us or sinned against us should be limitless. He tells this parable, which we're going to look at a little more closely in just a second. But just notice one more time how strongly Jesus ends the passage in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That is a strong statement that emphasizes so strongly our charge to forgive our neighbor when the opportunity is there. I, and, and, and not only that, it's so strong because he's, he's, it's so specifically not lip service. No, we're good. It's not just lip service. It's, he says it's a striving with the Lord's help for a genuine forgiveness from the heart. And it's that kind of thought um, that, that prompted Pastor Brian a week and a half ago to spend a, a, a good bit of time explaining biblically what Christian forgiveness is and is not. And as I prepare to teach through this parable tonight, um, which in the providence of God was scheduled for this night way back in August, um, I, I want what I, I, I couldn't get that, what he said there out of my head. As, as I don't know, it's like, what else can you say about this parable that he didn't just say? Uh, and so what I want to do tonight, it's not all I want to do, but one thing I want to do is remind you of some of what he said in that passage about, in that, in that sermon about forgiveness, and then take just a little bit different direction on the parable tonight as we end. And it may not take us long, but that's okay, since for several of us, this is going to be the second time in two weeks we've thought about it. Um, so I just want to remind you what, what Brian said about, um, about what forgiveness is and is not. Um, and I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. We're going to just list them. So the parable, on the one hand, focuses on the man's, the servant's unforgiveness of the one who was in debt to him. His unjust withholding of forgiveness to that man, which prompted Jesus to say that we owe forgiveness from our heart to our neighbor for as many times as the opportunity arises, per his answer to Peter. So we'd better be clear on what forgiveness is and is not. 
um, so we can be obedient to Christ. So Brian mentioned seven untruths, as he's talked about it, seven untruths about forgiveness. Um, and then, in other words, what forgiveness is not. And then he came back and said seven truths about forgiveness, what it is. And so let me just list these for you. I'll say a bit about each one, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in a little different direction as, uh, toward the end. So first thing he said about what forgiveness is not, he said forgiveness isn't forgetting. Or forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, and he pointed out that God doesn't forget. God, is, the Bible clearly says God is omniscient. And, and yeah, yeah, he pointed out this, there's this passage in, in Jeremiah 31, this new covenant promise. In Jeremiah 31, 34, that says, where God says to those who would trust in the Savior that was coming, I will, I will forgive your sin and I will remember your sins no more. But when God says, I will remember your sins no more, um, it doesn't mean that literally he will not remember them because he is omniscient and it's quite impossible to just completely forgive. But what it does mean is when he says, I will remember your sins no more, God means if, you're, if you are repentant and trusting in the Savior, I am no longer going to take your sins into account when, in the way that I treat you. I'm just not going to do it. And in a way of, a figurative way of saying this, I'm not going to remember them anymore. I'm not going to call them to mind. I'm not going to take them into account in the way that I act toward you anymore. Right? That's one thing. That forgiveness isn't forgetting. He said, secondly, forgiving doesn't mean that you no longer feel the pain of the offense. Forgiving no longer means, doesn't mean that you no longer feel the pain of the offense. That, too, is quite impossible. Um... You think about that, too. Even with Christ, there are still nail scars in his hands, right? So you can't, yeah, none, that doesn't go away. He said, third, forgiveness isn't the absence of consequences. That if we believe that if, if we believe that if we forgive that person who genuinely sinned against us and wronged us, um, if we think that if I forgive them, they're just sort of going to, get away with it, <laughs> whatever it was that they did. That is, if we have that kind of mindset, that is forgetting God, and the forgetting that God knows, and God sees, and God's always going to do what is just and right and good, right? So you don't have to worry that, that forgiveness is going to, if I forgive that person, they're not going to have to bear any consequences of what they did to me. You're, you're not in control of things. God is. And he said, fourth, Forgiveness doesn't make it easy for the offenders to hurt you again. And this will make more sense when we get to the one of the things that forgiveness is. But it assume, this, having that attitude that it's just going to make it, if I forgive, it's going to make them easy to hurt me again. That assumes, uh, right, this assumes a person who hurt you is asking for forgiveness sincerely. And so when forgiveness is granted, that does a sanctifying work in their heart rather than a hardening one. And furthermore, even when you forgive, even then, the relationship is going to be different from that point on. And there are going to be more guards and more boundaries in place than there was before when the hurt took place. He said, fifth, forgiveness is rarely a one-time event. That's a fact. For a number of reasons, when we choose to forgive, it's also going to have to be a daily, hourly, sometimes a moment-by-moment -moment decision. Sixth, he said, 
Forgiveness won't lead the offender to be more entrenched in their sin. That's a lot like the fourth reason. But Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. Finally, Brian said, forgiveness is not motivated primarily by self-interest. Christian forgiveness isn't focused on yourself, but love of God and neighbor. Okay, there's more that could be said about what, what it's not, but let me just get to what he said about what forgiveness is. Seven truths about forgiveness. First, he said, God in Christ forgave us by absorbing in himself the destructive consequences of our sin against him. That's a, that's a mouthful. God in Christ forgave us by absorbing in himself the destructive consequences of our sin against him. In other words, forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is hard. It's difficult. It, it's not easy. Forgiveness hurts. Um, it was even for God. Something we're going to say something about later tonight. Second, God expects believers to forgive others in the way that he forgave them. He expects believers to forgive others in the way that he forgave them. Again, more on that in a moment, but Scripture says that kind of thing all over the place. I mean, just Ephesians 4.32 is just one example. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Third, God's forgiveness is conditional, which means what? No sinner is just automatically forgiven of God just because. Um, No, God forgives on what condition? Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Which means that when we forgive others, when they, it means that we, we, if God does that with us, we ought to do that to anyone who comes to us in repentance, asking for forgiveness. And until that, until that time should come, you say, what if they never come? What if they never come and ask for forgiveness? It means that until that time, it is on us with God's help to be in our hearts ready to forgive should that time ever come, right? And should it never come, ever, you've been ready in your heart all that time. Like, it's, it's a lot like, you can think about it a lot like this. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when he was talking about anger, Jesus said that when you are angry in your heart, it's as if you have already murdered. And in, the same, in a similar way, when you are ready in your heart to forgive that person if they should come and repent and ask for forgiveness, it is as if you have already forgiven them in your heart, should that time ever come. Fourth, Brian said, God forgave us in Christ by canceling the debt we owed to him. Our debt is canceled. That's, that's in Colossians chapter 2. More on that in a minute. But God, in other words, God no longer deals with us on the basis of it. And therefore, even if we're still having, even if like, because forgiveness is not a one-time thing, and if I have to just forgive again, and every time I see that person, I have, to, I, have to, I have to forgive again, or every time, it just, it's on my mind all the time. I feel like I'm having to con- get a posture of my heart constantly with God's help to forgive, even when, even when I'm wrestling inwardly like that, I'm, it is still our Christian obligation 
once we have forgiven them as in, and, and are forgiving them, no longer to treat them taking that into account, right? We no longer treat that person on the basis of that wrong. If they have asked for forgiveness or you have come to that posture of your heart, you don't treat them on, because God doesn't treat us that way. Fifth, he said, forgiving others as God has forgiven us means we refuse to be vigilantes. And what he meant by that is we don't seek, we're not the ones who seek retribution. We're not the ones who seek payback. We're, we leave that up to the Lord who is just and good and wise. Sixth, forgiving others as God has forgiven us means that we do good rather than evil to them. That's essentially saying much the same thing as the last one, but it's a little different in that it's not just that we don't seek retribution. It's not that we just don't just seek payback, but we actively seek to do good. We actively seek to do good to that person. Why? Because seventh, forgiveness is an act of the will more than it is a feeling. Forgiveness is an act of the will more than it is feeling. Feelings often follow acts. The way we say it more times around here, habits change hearts. And the more times we intentionally act with our bodies, with our words, with our actions, the more we intentionally act in ways that are appropriate to forgiveness, Lord willing, in time, we will feel more forgiving. As I was talking to Brian this afternoon about this, because I told him, I was like, I, I, feel like, I feel like this is such an important issue. It, he, said, he, said, man, you wouldn't, he said, man, you wouldn't believe how many people came up to me after that sermon. And, I mean, it struck a chord. Forgiveness is a big deal. I mean, like, and life is messy. Life is messy. People are messy. Relationships are messy. Family relationships. Um, dating relationships, political, de- I mean, just all kinds of things. Life is messy. And, and, and there are, just live long enough, you will be sinned against. You will be wronged. You will be offended in a way that you didn't, you don't feel like you deserve that. You just, it's just going to happen. Um, and, and, and so when, when, when he started, when he preached on, on forgiveness, he said, man, like, it, it really struck a chord with, with people in our church. And he said if there was anything else that he wishes he would have said on that day, it's, it's, the under, it's this understanding that in this life, our forgiveness of other people is never going to be perfect. This is never going to be perfect. Like, only God's forgiveness of us is perfect and without flaw, and, and his is the model we follow And with the Spirit's help, it's what we strive after, but it will always be imperfect. God knows our hearts, and though it's not going to be perfect in many cases, He gives grace and strength for the striving. And I hope this is a good reminder of what Brian said a week and a half ago, especially if you weren't here to hear it the first time. But as we think about this parable that Jesus told, the other thing, think back to what we read about it, the other thing that Jesus emphasizes, the thing that makes the servant's lack of forgiveness, because it does gravitate to this servant who went to the guy that owed him something and he didn't forgive him. Like, that's one emphasis. But the other thing 
the, the thing that makes that servant's lack of forgiveness so egregious is that servant's lack of awareness or care for the forgiveness that he himself had received from God or from his master in the parable. When you look back at the parable, Jesus said in verse 24 that this servant owed his master 10,000 talents, which would have been an absurdly astronomical amount. Like, in today's money, it would have been like $6 billion. Like, a, I mean, just Jesus obviously intending to convey an utter impossibility of paying back. Utterly impossible debt to pay back. If he lived a thousand lifetimes, the fact that he said, have patience with me, in verse 26, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. No, you won't. If you lived a thousand lifetimes, you could never repay it. And as the parable proceeds, it's as if the man was forgiven, the man that was, that was forgiven of, uh, of this debt by his master, but he never even really appreciated that gift of forgiveness. The debt that the other man owed, by the way, the, the debt that the other servant owed that first servant was minuscule by comparison, a hundred denarii, minuscule by comparison, but that servant didn't believe it. And I, I'm afraid that the continuing relevance of this, of this parable to us today is that there are a lot of professing Christians, a lot of professing followers of Christ, who still feel the same way that that servant did. Saying, and I don't always exclude myself from this, because we're all sinners and weak. Saying that we are thankful for the forgiveness of Christ, but never giving evidence that they seriously understand it at all. And that's because many of those professing Christians have never seriously come to grips with either their sin or God's holiness. Which in the end causes them to completely miss God's mercy. But remember the first truth about forgiveness that we mentioned, that forgiveness is costly. That is seen supremely in the cross of Jesus Christ. And... And that's the necessary means to our forgiveness. We, we're not forgiven without the cross. We don't have it. And I think it's worth our remembering as, we, as, as the final thing we're going to talk about tonight. I just, this is going to be so basic, but I'm going to, we're going to do it anyway. Three necessary theological factors for the cross. Three necessary theological factors for the cross of Jesus Christ. When I, when I say necessary theological factors, I mean each one is a necessary factor. You take, that without any one of those, you don't have the cross, okay? Um, yeah, this is basic gospel, but it's, it's what that wicked servant in the parable failed to perceive, and it's what we will too if the Spirit doesn't give us eyes to see it again, as we call them to mind. The first the theological, ah, first necessary theological factor for the cross is our sin. Our sin. There would be no need for the cross if we were not sinners before God. But Scripture is clear, and you don't even need Scripture to tell you. You know it in your own heart 
that we're sinners before God. And look, man, we don't need to sanitize that word. It's not just a church word. It's not just a, a Bible word. Don't sanitize that word so that it loses all of its meaning. Like, we are sinners. And the sins we're talking about are all the thoughts that went through your head today and mine. <laughs> and all the things that we have said and done. And I've done a lot of things. And I've said a lot of things that I regret. That we've said and done willingly. Knowing it's wrong. Ignoring it in the moment. Stuffing it. Suppressing it. Knowing it's wrong. Doing it anyway. Because that's what we wanted more. High-handed sin. Scripture is clear that the consequences of our sin before God are just. The wages of sin is death. Not just I'm going to die one day, eternal. And the wrath of God remains on us. An eternity separated from God and from his blessing. And we have, it's like this man in the parable. We have no capability to rescue ourselves. We have no capability to rescue ourselves, but just as, just like the parable teaches, but it's actually worse than we think. We're unable, we're incapable of rescuing ourselves because apart from grace, we're deceived and we don't care. We don't want to, don't think we need to. Never crosses our minds. Our sin is the first necessary factor. But the second necessary theological factor for the cross is this, God's holiness. God's holiness. Our sin would not even be a problem if God were not holy. But Scripture is clear that He is. Blindingly holy. Scripture says that He dwells in unapproachable light. In Him is light and no darkness at all. You, you, would think, you would think that the prophet Isaiah was a, was a stand-up guy. I mean, he's Isaiah. But he's, he was in the presence of, of this holy God. And I've told you many times, when the, when the seraphim cry out, Holy, 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 that's a feature of the Hebrew language. They don't have the word very. Or they didn't. I may, they may now. I don't know. They didn't. So if they, could, if, some, if they wanted to say something was holy, if they wanted to intensify that a little bit more, they didn't have a word very to say it. He's very holy. So they would just repeat the word. He's holy, holy. It's why Jesus would often say, Truly, truly, I say to you, holy, holy. If, if you wanted to communicate it maximally three times, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah, stand-up guy. Isaiah, what a prophet. That guy says, woe is me. I, I don't know fully what I am undone means, but it's not good. 
Or just think about, that's Isaiah 6. Or think about 2 Samuel 6, when, when they are carrying the ark, uh, the ark of the Covenant, which represented God's holy presence with his people. They're carrying it not the proper way. You know, he had, had loops in it and poles that you would run through. You're supposed to carry it like this. They didn't have it. They weren't doing that. It was on a cart. And, and the, they were taking it back to Jerusalem, and the, the, the ox stumbled, and the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant started to fall off the, 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 cart, the, the cart that was carrying it. And a guy named Uzzah, you would think he was a stand-up guy. He was like going after the ark. Yeah, let's bring it back. He wanted, he wanted God's presence with the people. You'd think he was a stand-up guy. He saw the ark of the covenant about to fall off the cart. He reaches out to stop it from falling. And as soon as he touches it, he dies right there. Remember R.C. Sproul said one time that the the reason that it would actually would have been better uh, if the if it had just fallen on the ground because the dirt was less sinful than Uzzah, right? That we are that sinful. He is that holy. Scripture says that 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 God God cannot permanently dwell with sin. Like his his justice and his holiness by nature demands that he bring condemnation to sin. That is, to us. But there's a third necessary factor for the cross because God's holiness against our sin requires... If you just have our sin and God's holiness, that does not require a cross. It requires hell, but it doesn't require a cross. It requires nothing but God's toward us in judgment. So the third necessary factor is God's mercy. That without God's mercy, you don't have a cross. Now, truthfully, we don't have to have this from God. He doesn't owe us mercy. But if there was no mercy, there would be no cross. And so if there would be a cross for our forgiveness, his mercy is required. So how can God be both holy and just and merciful at the same time? It's the cross. Romans 3 says that through Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, the holiness of God was demonstrated, the heinousness of our sin was demonstrated, but God's mercy was also expressed maximally on the cross in that Jesus was bearing the weight of our guilt so that we wouldn't have to, we could be shown mercy, and God would still be just and holy. John Stott said that the cross could be seen as God's self-satisfaction through self-substitution. Self-satisfaction through self-substitution. John Piper said, what you see in the cross is God's love willing to meet the demands of his justice. These are the things that we can't forget because when it, when it, when it, when it, when it comes our turn, <laughs> when it becomes our turn to show this gospel love and mercy to somebody else, like, to those who have sinned against us. What, what, what it comes down to is, is when, you talk about, when you talk about forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, it's not so much hard to understand as it is just hard to do. It's just hard to do. And so here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together. It doesn't have to be a long time. 
Um, we used to do this every week, and we haven't done it in a long time. For the next few minutes, I want us to, I don't know what it's going to look like for you. Um, we're going to break up into groups, and I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. So um, we're going to break up in groups and, and pray together for each other before the band comes to close in a song. If you're uncomfortable praying in front of somebody else, don't feel like you got to. You don't have to. But what I want you to do in your groups is, is, is think um, deeply about your sin, about God's holiness and his mercy toward you at, at co- unfathomable cost to himself, and just pray for each other. And you, I, don't know, I don't know how well you're going to know the people in your groups. If you feel like you know the people in your group well enough that you can talk to them about a situation that you, are, that you have that is hard for you to forgive, tell them about it. Let them pray for you in that situation. If you don't want to be specific, don't be specific, but pray for each other. Jesus, think about our parable tonight. Jesus literally said a mark of someone who has known his forgiveness is a posture of heart that wants to forgive those who have sinned against you and to forgive them from the heart. That's the posture of heart that Jesus commands. And so for the next few minutes, let's break up into groups and pray for each other in this this matter. Uh, It's a way that you can do what Hebrews 12 says, or excuse me, Hebrews 10 says, spur one another on to love and good works. And so uh, after after y'all pray, the band's going to come and lead us in a closing song, and then we'll we'll be done. So y'all break up for just a few minutes and pray.